Hey guys, it's your boy Noir. Have you ever heard of Noir? Nah, not me. I mean Noir Coin. Noir is a decentralized digital currency created to ensure your transactions are secure, private, and untraceable. They use this fantastic protocol called Sigma, which provides you complete anonymity over your funds. It has a 2.5 minute block time. What I thought was really cool is that it's a community governed currency. So all of the decisions are made by the community. So check it out. It also has no max supply. So anyone can mine Noir and use it every day as a daily payment method. You want more information? Make sure you follow them on Twitter at NoirCoin. That's at NoirCoin. And make sure you check them out at NoirOfficial.org. That's NoirOfficial.org. You're listening to the only place on the internet that offers the perfect blend of high-quality premium cigars and cryptocurrency news and commentary. Welcome to Cigars and Crypto. Now here's your host, Invest Noir. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Cigars and Crypto. It's your boy Noir, and I am so happy to have Annalise Strader of BitAML with me today. Annalise, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm well. I cannot complain. It's a beautiful day. I woke up happy. I thought about success all day. Uh, from the moment I woke up, I had two cigars, so I'm feeling fantastic <laughs> right now and some wine, so I'm feeling great. There you go. Awesome. So let's jump right in, okay? How did you get into cryptocurrencies? Okay, well, I spent most of my career in banks as um, like with a variety of different roles through the years. And when I say through the years, I spent like 20 years in banking. And towards the end, I got into compliance. And I was at a ACAMS conference in Las Vegas. And this gentleman was giving a talk about this thing called the blockchain. And so I went into that talk and listened and I was just fascinated from the start. I'm like, wow, this is like the coolest thing. And so after that, I, you know, it's sort of like that, um, what do you call it? Like a love affair. You get some information and all you can do is read about it and study it and learn more, which is what I did because I just found it absolutely fascinating. And I was like, this is the future. Um, banks are going to end up disappearing. So I should probably move in this direction. <laughs> you know, that was pretty much how that went. And so then I applied at several different exchanges um, for an analyst role. And I ended up with Bitflyer is where I went, which was a really awesome experience. Uh, I learned a lot there. And um, I worked with uh, Miss Haley Lennon. And she's a, a great lady, great teacher, really good thought leader in this space. And so that was a really fortunate uh, role that I had. I really liked it. And for personal reasons, I left there. And um, now I work from home uh, for BitAML. And there we do consulting for um, crypto kiosk operators, uh, exchanges. Um, we also work with financial institutions that are looking to bank crypto. So we evaluate um, any client that they're looking to bank. We'll look at their AML program and give feedback to the bank as to like what we think could be stronger 
and what we think are great points about the, the uh, you know, the prospective um, bank customers, uh, their AML program. And so that, and also I've worked with some of the crypto exchanges in the Middle East. So um, I've written a review for the Central Bank of Bahrain, which was kind of cool, um, of, of an exchange that was getting out of the sandbox there. So just to give you an idea, like we do stuff like that. We do turnkey AML programs for uh, the crypto industry. Okay. Now, I used to work for a bank as well, so I know what the term AML means. Would you explain to my listeners what AML is? AML is anti-money laundering. And so, gosh, back in the 1970s, it started to actually become a thing. And in the 80s, um, the government, specifically the Treasury, started to roll out rules and laws surrounding cash and how much cash moves in and out of a bank by any one particular customer. Um, you know, if you were to look up BSA AML laws, you would find all of the information that you could need. I, I don't want to explain every granular detail, but it's basically, if I could sum it up, anti-money laundering is, it's a set of compliance um, guidelines and some are hard and fast rules that um, every financial institution has to implement and abide by to remain in compliance and um, not not be the victim of regulatory action or should I say the subject of regulatory, <laughs> regulatory actions uh, by state regulators or by the federal government. And so there's a variety of different regulators that could be involved. So um, it just depends on what kind of financial institution it is. All right. So you have a wonderful list of experience, both in banking and now in fintech, um, coming from banking, uh, going into compliance. You worked uh, briefly with Bitflyer and uh, now you're with BitAML. And I want to talk to you about something that we just talked about before we got started. There was an article that popped up today and I saw your name. It said senior advisor and administrator. <laughs> I said, I know her. <laughs> Tell me about what's going on in Nevada. Okay. Well, um, one of our clients had, um, basically had been asking Nevada what what the deal was in terms of kiosk operators. Are they um, considered money transmitters or are they exempt from having to get a license? And this had, it was something that was kind of a, a back and forth and the client still didn't have any real answer. And so I called and I just I said to the regulator, so are we licensing the Bitcoin ATM operators or, and then she answered me and told me that, yeah, they are. Um, what, what happened was the legislature was kicking around some, uh, a bill, I think it was called uh, Senate bill 195. And it was very, um, how would I put it? Not crypto friendly, but the good state of Nevada apparently met it with a lot of opposition. And so it died. And so the regulator 
from what she, the way she communicated it to me is they were waiting to see what the legislative session would do. Legislative session closed without that bill going anywhere. So the office there in Nevada decided to take action and they basically redefined their interpretation of the existing Nevada revised statute number 690, I think it's, no, 671? Um, yeah, 671. And decided that now Bitcoin kiosk operators meet the definition of money transmitters. And so the, no announcement was made. Um, from, from what I'm being told, the, um, the division there, you know, Department of Financial Institutions is going to reach out and contact the operators. Um, but, you know, I, our client didn't get reached out to. So, um, and then I emailed some clients today, um, letting them know. And to some of them, it was news. And like I had mentioned earlier, there's one that said he knew and he had already closed down his uh, kiosk last week. So that's what's going on. It's kind of a, um, I don't know. I feel like it was sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like you're right. You know, I mean, because I just feel like if you're a regulator and you're going to make some change that's going to impact people's lives and people's livelihood, um, they should be notified. And, I, you know, I did ask the regulator. I said, so are you going to make an announcement? Are you going to call Coindesk or anybody? And they said, no. And I said, oh. And she said to me, well, you know, it's, they need to do their due diligence before they conduct business. And I just, <laughs> I just had to hold my tongue. Right, right. Now, folks, if you don't know, uh, the legal definition of a money transmitter in the legal code of the United States, a money transmitter or money transfer service is a business entity that provides money transfer services or payment instruments. Money transmitters in the U.S. are a part of a larger group of entities called money service businesses or MSBs. That's straight off of Wikipedia. Um, I think that it's sad that regulators operate in such a covert fashion. If I understand this action correctly, the person that shut down their business just took tax revenue away from the state of Nevada. So I think it's sad that they would do something like that in the cover of night and not alert these businesses that regulations had changed and that they need to work to be compliant. Did they give them a grace period or anything to comply? Uh, the way I guess I asked, I said, is there a deadline? And the response was, oh, good question. Well, we're expecting everyone to apply, and we're really not going to hunt down any non-compliant kiosk operators at this time. And it was kind of like she said, but in six months, if we find someone that's operating without a license, we would notify the owners. So it's it, it seems to me that it's, I, I mean... I hate to, I don't really like to talk bad about regulators, you know, but it just seemed so sneaky. It <laughs> no, it's no, it doesn't seem that way. It is sneaky. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I was just kind of really dumbfounded and didn't really know what to say when I asked, okay, so you're going to do press release. I mean, there was nothing, 
No. And I, you know, and I don't know what that's about. If that's just a, like the way governments work kind of thing, they just, it, it's not on their check, check the box to do list. So they don't do it. You know, I, I don't know, but yeah. So I reached out to Coindesk to make sure that they were aware of this and, um, and they did their own investigation and you know, they made the call and spoke with the regulator and confirmed everything that I had told them and went ahead and published the article. Wow. It's, good good it's on a, you for blowing the whistle. Good on right. you for that. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, the kiosk operators need to know, yeah, you know, you can't keep secrets. <laughs> right. Especially about someone's livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, it's like, what if you're that guy that's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, okay, I, get, I do business in 10 states and I'm going to go into Nevada and I'm going to go ahead and order 20 kiosks because they don't, they, they don't take action. It's a no action state. I don't have to be a money transmitter there. And, you know, and then they, that might've been say a month ago, right? Maybe two months ago. And then next thing you know, they're being told, oh, no, you're a money transmitter now. And, you know, the, the things that go along with that are not just the regulation. It's um, in the state of Nevada, you have to have a surety bond. In, in all the states, they need to have surety bonds. And the surety bonds, what those do is protect the consumer. So in the event that the business goes sideways and some customers somehow are being shorted money, the surety bond is there to make the customers whole, right? And so the minimum surety bond, and you have to buy them, um, is $10,000. And that's if your net worth is $100,000 or more. If your net worth is not $100,000 or more, then it's $20,000. But that's not the complicated part. Where it gets to be less fun is for every location you have. And now if you're Western Union, you have lots and lots of locations, right? Um, and if you're a kiosk operator, you might have a lot of locations. So for every location, it's an additional $5,000 of bond. Wow. And so if you have 30 kiosks, that's, you know, it's a lot of money. And so they have to secure these bonds and keep that on hand. And now for exchanges, large exchanges, that's an afterthought. It's, it's, it's easy. It's, it's not an expensive endeavor. But for kiosk operators, their profit margin is not huge. So it's, it's a considerable expense for them. Agreed, it is. It really is. So let me ask a question. Well, you know, before I ask this question, how about we take a quick break? I'm going to get a word in from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back because I want to ask you what you do for BitAML, and I also want to ask you about ComplyFit. Okay. Okay. We'll be right back, folks. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Cigars and Crypto. I am here with Annalise Strader of BitAML. Annalise, thank you for your patience. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I just want to ask you a couple more questions. 
During our conversation, the CoinDesk article listed you as a senior advisor, which I thought was so cool. But what is your title and what do you do for BitAML? Okay, well, I'm a senior advisor in that I consult and I advise our clients on a variety of different, of course, anti-money laundering and other compliance-related subjects and questions. And then I do audits of crypto exchanges and of crypto kiosk operators of their operations because that's part of the Bank Secrecy Act and like the rules for AML is that um, they have to do an annual audit, a third-party audit. So um, I do audits, I do um, reviews of anti-money laundering programs, and I am the creator, co-creator of ComplyFit. That was my next question. Tell me about ComplyFit. ComplyFit is software that I developed with um, a full stack engineer. I'm really the person who collected all the data. And he's the one that, like, I drew pictures for him of what I wanted it to look like in the software. And so he went ahead and, and created all of that for me. And so what it is, it's all 50 states and it's, you click on a state and you have the contact information for the regulator. And this is for state money transmitter. So any, any exchange or any kiosk operator that is required to have a license in whatever state it is they're operating in or states, um, what happens is they've, they've got a particular office they have to report to at that state level. And so in the software, it has the contact information for everyone you need to speak to there, has their email addresses, it has um, all of the different reporting dates. So there's like quarterly reporting, there's annual renewals. And a lot of this is also done in, in NMLS, which is a, a system that a lot of the states use, but it's not everybody uses it. And there's also overlap. Like um, some states use NMLS, which is, a, and so I have links in my software to NMLS where it's appropriate, but some states use NMLS and then they have their own reporting requirements outside of that. Um, some of them have different forms, like say a security device calculation form or an IT audit form. Like, so there's all these different forms. And, you know, if you're licensed in 30 states, it's a lot to keep track of. And so in my software, what it does is in a chronological order, in an order of things being due, it will produce alerts for um, the licensee. So if they're licensed in 30 states, um, due dates will pop up in, in alerts for them on one screen. And also they can get these alerts in their email that tells them what they have coming due and when it's due, what, what format it needs to be delivered in. Like some stuff, they've got to email it. Some things need to be actually snail mailed, believe it or not, um, to some of these states. And there's just, and some things are like a web form. Like they have to go, like say Florida, they have their own website where you have to log in and do your reporting in their website. So it, it's a lot to keep track of. And so inside the software, it's all 50 states. You can click on a state and it gives you all the information you need to report to that state. And so it's kind of awesome. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. It it's is most first, definitely awesome. It's the first of its kind that we know of. So. Right, right. And it's designed to make the life of the operator easier. Yes. Streamline operations and functions, ensure compliance, mm -hmm. and efficiency equates to profit. 
So you're making them more profitable because they're able to spend their time doing other things. Yes. I think that's a fantastic thing, Annalise. Congratulations to you and your, your full stack dev. Thank you. You're very welcome. So I'm going to drop the million dollar question on you. Tell Come me. On. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Where do you see the future of blockchain technology and cryptocurrency in the next three to five years? That is such a tough question because back when we had pagers, right? Who would have thought that we would have this thing called the internet that we could carry around in our back pocket and have access to almost any piece of information as quickly as we, we can right now. So, you know, I have no idea where it's going to be three to five years from now. Um, I mean, that's really my answer is, you know, the sky is the limit. I can't tell you how honest and refreshing that answer is. You'd be surprised how many developers and CEOs uh, have answers about where they see the future but that is probably the most honest answer I have had someone give to me. We don't know. Yeah. Um, we can assume, we yeah. can hope, we can aspire, but I've never had anyone say to me, we don't know. And I just find that so exciting. It's just the sky, <laughs> the sky is the limit, you know? Yeah. I mean, because really it's like, there's so many things that, you know, looking back were absolutely inconceivable. You know, when I was 20 years old, if you told me I'd be able to, A, just carry a phone around in my pocket, I would have laughed, right? And if I would have been able to access something as vast as, or even more, or just even just as vast as the Encyclopedia Britannica from this phone, right? I would have just been, yeah, whatever, that's what the library is for. You know, I mean, who would have thought? I mean, the, the advances that we've made in technology over the past 20, 30 years are really mind-blowing when you look back and think about it. And so another five years, who knows? Yeah, the sky is definitely the limit. Yeah. Annalise, I have enjoyed our discussion today. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation and promise me that you will come back. Anytime. Okay, you have an open seat at my table. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good night, okay? You too.